Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Portfolio Manager Henry Song. Henry is the Co-Portfolio Manager on Diamond Hill's Short Duration and Core Bond Strategies, working alongside teammates Mark Jackson, Wen Tinghe, and Charlie Miner. On today's episode, Henry and I will review the volatile first half of 2020 in the securitized market, from the early days of the pandemic to the more recent recovery that we have seen in the sector. As we continue to work through these unprecedented times, I ask for your understanding for any sound quality issues that may arise. As always, stay safe, stay healthy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Henry Song. Thanks for joining me today, Henry. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, let's let's jump right to the questions and get into the conversation about the structured market. So, you know, we went through a pretty crazy time period at the end of the first quarter into the second quarter. So, uh, maybe take us through kind of what you were seeing in the early days of the crisis from the structured market uh, and just from your standpoint as a portfolio manager. Yeah, sure. So, in the very early days. You know, you start seeing new issue deals start not to really get done in the market. Uh, we're really talking about the just really the last week of March in that incidents, uh, where new issue deals having trouble getting to the finish line, but there's still enough money, still enough demand to kind of get them done. But it wasn't getting overly subscribed as just a week prior. Uh, the bid last spread has started winding out by you know, a couple hundred basis points, and that was that seemed kind of shocking. It's like, okay, well. Are people just panicking? What's going on here? And that so that was a very early times. Then first week when most of the states start entering into lockdown, uh, bid ask spreads start widening almost on a daily basis. You know, some of the bonds that was trading that was trading at fifty uh, basis point off the treasury uh, by the end of that week they were going to. Uh, by the end of the week, that we're going to about 900. Uh, so that's a magnitude that have, we have really never seen in the past. And you know, a lot of that is really after a couple of days, the dealers community, uh, their balance sheets were either mostly filled up or they've been told to kind of uh, not add any more risk. Uh, so the structured product market, in some sense, like entering into the second week of lockdown, was in uh, more of a free fall. Uh, when you don't have the dealer community in the middle to broker trades. What you end up with was, uh, you know, it's like buy side to buy side transaction, uh, and that you know that creates problem because almost everybody was facing outflows at that point. So very few people have money to be out there buying, and you know the very few fortunate ones that that had the money they get to dictate the terms. And the only thing we really saw trading at okay level, uh, okay meaning not off 10, 15, 20 points, off five points, were some of the really high quality AAA paper. And I think that was mostly bought by some of the insurance company that didn't have to deal with outflows. Uh, but they were pretty conservative in nature. So they were buying extremely high quality products at a very meaningful discount. Uh, these, this sort of discount is actually much bigger than we have even seen in 2008, 2009, uh, especially on the very high quality stuff. Then I think the start right after that is because of the mark-to-market caused by some of these transactions, uh, you start seeing margin calls. You start seeing hedge funds and lever reads uh, that had to deal with uh, meeting the margin calls, and you start seeing a lot more bonds coming out. Uh, we have seen bid one in comp, which is how you transact a lot of the structured products. Uh, we have seen record volume coming out day after day. 
Um, and most of the bonds that's, that's on the list end up like not trading because there are just no bids on, on them. You know, again, there's very limited cash on the sideline ready to be deployed at that point. Uh, and even the people that had cash that weren't facing a lot of redemption were concerned that it's just a matter of time that they will get hit with redemption. Uh, so pretty much everything just widened out at that point. Uh, in some ways, like we compressed what the entire widening of 2008 uh, packed that into a couple weeks and some more. Uh, so the market was very disorderly. And, you know, you, you could say the market was completely broken at that point. There were no price discovery. It's essentially who has cash and who doesn't. And it's, you know, absolutely buyer's market at that point. And even was the, you know, early on when the Fed announced some of the plans they were going to do, there were no clarity and there were no immediate liquidity relief into the marketplace. Uh, so none of that was really uh, calming for the market because you know, if you were meeting margin calls, you had to get the money in the next few days. You didn't have a choice. Uh, we started seeing people looking to trade bonds late at night. Uh, we started seeing weekend uh, trades start going on. Uh, so, you know, people were working 24-7 literally just trying to get liquidity at that point. And, you know, a lot of money, good bonds were getting passed around at extremely distressed levels. And so that's one of the things that you mentioned is the, the, the Fed action on March 23rd and, and April 9th. But what was interesting was that um, while corporates experienced almost V-shaped type recovery, uh, just on the announcements of those programs um, in the Fed buying on the primary and secondary market, though they really didn't do anything till the end of June, we didn't see that uh, in the ABS market or in the structured market. Um, what was it like, you know, seeing what was going on in the corporate market, but still having to manage through, you know, what you were seeing in the ABS market, knowing that there wasn't kind of this magic potion that was going to suddenly cause the ABS market to rebound? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it was certainly difficult uh, and didn't make a lot of sense at that point. Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest difference there really in my mind is when people were viewing corporates, they were like, okay, Fed's going to buy these bonds and they're going to uh, support the levels. And if, if, as long as you buy corporations, that's going to get liquidity in the near term, none of the bonds going to default on you. And if, even if you were to look at corporate market, the longer term corporate bonds uh, were trading up faster and sooner than the shorter term, uh, the ones that's going to mature in the near term. Uh, I think that the same rationale is, okay, like, well, I don't know if these companies are going to have the money to pay off the debt in the next three to six months, but, you know, with all the feds, like, putting the money behind them, oh, they should be okay in, like, 30 years. Well, at least, you know, not, not saying they would be, should be okay in 30 years, but if you were buying a 30-year bond in one year, two year time, those bonds should still be outstanding. They should be fine. So people are actually buying longer term debt in that instance. And, you know, the longer term debt was uh, spreads where they are. We're also trading at a much bigger discount as well. So there's more upside uh, buying those as well and avoiding the near term hiccup. Uh, this, you know, structured product market was kind of, uh, people were waiting for these bonds to kind of prove themselves to prove that they would actually perform. Uh, you know, whether, however, like Fed's going to support this market, it doesn't make sense to buy a bond that say the bond is going to mature in two, three months with a lot of uncertainty with the underlying performance. What if the bond actually defaults? Like what, what kind of Fed support can there be to avoid this sort of default? That's definitely not clear. Like Fed buying these bonds doesn't necessarily solve that problem. So uh, if you own the bond, you're still going to deal with the default issue. 
um, you know, just because Fed owns 50% of bond doesn't mean that your other 50% is going to be money good. Uh, so that's that's a different sort of calculation altogether. And I think that's why the structured product market really lagged the recovery. Uh, the only thing I would say is anything that did not carry credit risk did recover much faster. Agency mortgage, for example, did recover much faster because uh, you know, you're not taking on any credit risk. Uh, as long as you get a signal that there may be Fed purchase, spreads are starting to come in. So the anything agency related, agency CMBS, agency MBS, uh, did come back much quicker. As we talk through this, and we, you know, we're we're moving, you know, from a timeline into kind of some of that recovery, um, we get past the what I've, you know, called the technical disruption that we saw in the ABS market, and what we started to get to were uh, remittance reports, and those are for those that don't know, those are the reports that come out every month tied to a structured deal. Uh, that shows how that the underlying loans are performing. Uh, are people making payments? Um, so maybe talk a little bit about remittance reports uh, and what we learned as time moved forward into, you know, April into May and even into June. Yeah. So remittance reports are almost like companies' quarterly earnings, except on structured products that come out monthly. So you get a much more frequent look at the underlying trust and how things are performing. In the early days, the fear was, you know, all the noises, uh, you know, for example, 40% of Americans are not going to pay rent. You're going to have an issue collecting any sort of payment on car loans, uh, credit card debt. But that, that's just, that wasn't a reality. That was a fear. And but that fear never really materialized. So in the, you know, right after the big liquidity bank, end of March, uh, April 15th rolled around, the original tax day. So the April remittance report, uh, really shows you the performance of uh, March 1st through March 31st. So that didn't really tell a whole lot of story because for the most part, you have a pretty good March. Then you have really bad, challenging March. Uh, but you did see uh, forbearance requests rising. You did see delinquencies go up. Uh, but people didn't understand the magnitude of that because a lot of that took place in early April as well. So investors essentially shrugged off the April reports. Like, okay, well, we need more data to see doesn't look too bad yet, but we don't know for sure. So then May reports rolled out and that was more calming for the market because essentially uh, he says, okay, but towards the end of April, all the requests for forbearance have already trend downwards pretty meaningfully. So we have, we have peaked in middle of April. So that was more assuring. Uh, but then the question became, okay, so the guy that's on some sort of payment relief program, uh, whether it be your car loan, skip payments, uh, essentially extending your loan term out, or like making partial payments for a few months before you catch up down the road, uh, it's not clear whether these programs are enough to help. And also keep in mind that point, even with the, uh, the government passing the, you know, the stimulus package, people weren't getting the money in their hands yet. So there's theory how would people actually spend the money they have so by, by the time June rolled around, I think a lot of the fear started easing because people started seeing uh, a lot of the guys that were enrolled on these women, uh, relief programs uh, started making payments and start catching up. And so the eventual default number should be much lower than people have feared. And that's when really the, a lot of the market started to start to uh, on growth and trading became more fluid and there were definitely more buying interests. Uh, but also, you know, spreads were also much tighter at that point. A lot of the bonds went from last trading at distressed price of 50 cents on the dollar 
you all of a sudden jump into 80, 85, uh, or even higher, depending on the nature of the bond and the collateral. Uh, so there was a pretty big jump. So bonds didn't trade much, and all of a sudden it's a big spike, a big jump right there. Uh, so, you know, that that's, you know, the July remittance report that just kind of just came out, uh, shared an even better picture. So you definitely start seeing more fire coming out. But I think after the May reports, a lot of new issues started coming through. And the June report definitely brought out a whole lot more issuer as well as more and more subsectors in the structured product market uh, were deemed as a viable business that the loan bond's going to be money good. Uh, you start seeing the primary market uh, functioning again. So, you know, we've talked about the remittance reports, but with, you know, right now we're kind of to the mid end of July and we know that um, some of the stimulus support is, is going away. Uh, in August, barring any kind of uh, additional stimulus coming from from the government, which we think there may be, uh, but how are you looking at the market now, knowing that you know August first, some of those extra payments, extra unemployment benefits are going to go away possibly? So, are you taking that into consideration, you know, when you're looking at the market right now? Yeah, no, certainly. You know, we have always been uh, taking that into consideration all along. We essentially use. You know, the way we view the world is, you know, that without the government uh, assistance here, some of these uh, borrowers are going to be in trouble. So, for example, if you look at an uh, auto loan deal, that if 10% of the people in the deal have requested some sort of payment relief in March and April, and they are now performing again, it's likely that without further government assistance, they may have trouble making payments, right? Because it's hard to tell whether these people are still employed at this point. Uh, or, you know, if they're working less hours, bringing less income, it's really hard to tell. So in our baseline underwriting currently is we'll assume that if you have requested for some sort of payment relief uh, early on, that you're likely to default again uh, sometime down the road in the next three to six months. And so we want to make sure our bonds can withstand that sort of stress going forward. Uh, but at least, you know, give us pretty good picture of the different bonds we own and what type of borrowers we have exposure to. You know, the deals that, uh, at least, you know, we're not wildly guessing now, is it gonna be 40%, is it gonna be 50%? We have pretty good ideas, different types of deals and what percentage of borrowers may be in trouble. Uh, so, that, uh, so that's definitely something we're taking into consideration. And certainly if, the, if our politicians work together and get a second round of stimulus in again, that's certainly going to help the bondholders uh, pretty, quite a bit. It's going to help the consumers and in turn help the bondholders here. Uh, but we're not, that's definitely not our base case. That's the upside scenario in our underwriting. So you, 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 in your career, you lived through, you know, 2008, 2009. Um, you've, you've obviously gone through what we've gone through over the past six months. Has your uh, opinion or thoughts around the securitized market, have they changed at all given what we've seen over the last six months? Well, if anything, it, it further demonstrated that the securitized markets, the, the way the bonds are structured, uh, they can really withstand a lot of stress. Uh, really, you know, you know, at the end, we can look back, you know, we're certainly not through this yet. Uh, you can look back and really uh, and say a lot of the bonds that we thought were really soundly underwritten, uh, I think it's going to withstand all the stress. Liquidity and volatility, that's a different story, but from the fundamental credit perspective, I think you, you're going to be surprised to find how well this fair versus some other markets. I think it'd be interesting 
uh, in a couple of years when this is behind us, you kind of do a post-mortem and see what percentage structured products uh, have lost money on the bond uh, versus corporate investment grade corporate market or high yield market. I think that's going to be very interesting to kind of look back and see. But, you know, by and large, I uh, feel good about the structure that's been put in place that really has helped solve a lot of the issues. I think it's still a sector that's not trafficked by a lot of investors and still has a lot of value. I think it's like 2008, 2009, when the structured products was the center of the storm and you offered the, the best return profile in all the bonds. Uh, this time around, it's not the center of the storm, but I think it's right now, based on the spreads that's been traded at, it's going to offer the best uh, return to get. So we've talked about, so you, so you just mentioned kind of an outlook uh, or what, what the future could be for this, for this market. One of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is how in you know, 2009 and 2010, new structure deals were issued that were almost financial crisis proof. Uh, and one of the things that you've mentioned um, is that the new issue market, which is really ramped up again with, you know, over 20 billion uh, in new issuance in June, which is kind of more in line with the average monthly issuance of the past two to three years. Uh, but what the new issues that are coming out are almost pandemic proof. So can you talk a little bit about that uh, and how, you know, the new issues are, are looking different than what we've seen in the past? Yeah, the big driver of that really, well, it's twofold. One's a rating agency driven, one is investor driven. Uh, rating agencies are, in general, uh, revising their loss expectations up 20 to 30% for the deal. So in order to get the same uh, loss coverage ratio, uh, the bonds are way more enhanced than they have been for quite some time. And the other part is investors are demanding that. So from a spread perspective, everything's recovering. Spreads are getting tighter every day. But from a structure perspective, the structures are getting much more conservative. Uh, so your break-even point have really changed quite a bit, but you're getting the same rating because you know, obviously the rating agency is putting a lot of the older deals on downgrade watch currently. Uh, so in, in some ways, these new issues, they're basically saying these are definitely no problem. They're not worried about it. Uh, so from a structure perspective, I've never seen anything quite robust as we're seeing the last couple months. Uh, these are definitely going to be some of the best uh, structure that's out there. And I think it's going to take a little time before everyone's starting getting comfortable uh, for the company to be able to get, for the issuers to be able to change the structure, take a little bit more leverage out and not um, trap so much cash in the deal. It's pretty punitive right now to be uh, issuing the space for sure. And so that's going to change. But I think you know, the latter half of 2020 is probably going to produce the best batch of deals. Henry Song, Portfolio Manager for uh, our core bond and short duration total return strategies. I want to thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Stay safe and, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Douglas. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.